In this series, we are diving into some key themes from the books of Luke and Acts. As a part of it all, we are in the middle of a Bible reading plan through YouVersion, reading scripture together as a church. It's not too late for you to be a part of that. You can just head to our website, that's wordoflifeag.org, and tap on the top bar to get started. Thanks for listening to the podcast this week. I pray that you're encouraged in your walk with God and that this message hits home for you. Here's this week's sermon from Pastor Tom. Good morning. It is wonderful to be here. Um, As you would have heard a number of times already today, the Luke and Acts series that we've started, which includes the Bible plan that we've invited everyone to read along with, uh, has been going fantastic. So glad we've uh, taken the time to do this. If you haven't started the plan yet, it's better to start late than not start. So if you haven't jumped in yet, don't feel this weird pressure about you're a few weeks behind. Don't worry. Jump in. It will continue to be a blessing to you as you jump into the plan as we go through that together. Uh, I do want to make sure that I give some real appreciation to the worship team. Um, you guys are wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, I asked them, well, we, can, we can give them a clap. That's awesome. Uh, I did put a request to them a week or so ago to see if we could do that last song, Transfiguration, um, to see if they would be able to do that. And they pulled it off, and I'm super glad they did. And I'm really appreciative uh, that they made that possible. And just wanted to give you a heads up. We're going to spend some more time in worship after the message today. Um, Amen. <laughs> if anyone else wants to holler, that's fine too, but um, we're going to spend some more time in worship together. And the point of this, the message today as we dig into this uh, is that it's building towards our appreciation for who Jesus is and for looking at just how incredible Jesus truly is, and he's unique in his majesty and his wonder. And so hopefully the message will all build us to the point where we are ready to get back into worship and declare that goodness uh, and get Sunday off to a good start. Does this sound like a plan, everybody? All righty. Well, we're going to go ahead. Let's get right into the passage of Scripture we're going to look at. We're going to look at the Mount of Transfiguration, and from Luke's Gospel, it's in chapter 9, starting in verse 28. So we're going to go right through this, and then after we've been through it, we're going to look at it a little bit step by step. But let's just get through the, um, the portion now and see exactly what it is that Luke has to say about this moment. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which is about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two other men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let us make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them, and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. They didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Now, it's clear from reading this that this is a significant moment. This isn't an everyday occurrence that you would see. This is a unique, special, significant moment, so much so that it has inspired artists over the past few hundred years. And I did a quick Google search this week, and I found some great paintings. Now, I promise I am not an art aficionado. I'm not an expert, but I found these paintings fascinating. I wanted to show a couple of them to you now, so we're going to see some pictures here. So you'll notice that typically Moses is represented as the person with the tablet representing the Ten Commandments. Let's have a quick another one. I think that's awesome. The action down at the bottom here is what was happening down the mountain on the other side of this story. Let's go to the next one. 
There you go. There's two pictures that are there. There we go. Great. Trying to communicate the majesty and the glory of Jesus. Amen. Look at that. So this moment in the biblical account, this moment in the gospel of Luke, and it's also mentioned in Mark and Matthew, this moment has inspired painters, inspired artists. And if it hadn't inspired the artists, it, it at least inspired the wealthy benefactors that paid the artists to do artwork like this. And that's a small representation of all the art that you have around this moment. This moment is inspirational. It brings something to the artist, something to the creative's mind that they want to get out and express to the world. And yet somehow, when I got ready for this week and I was trying to do some research and trying to dig in and trying to find out, you know, what is the significance of this moment? Trying to dig in, you know, what is it about this? It's a surprisingly little amount of information and little amount of content that I was able to get at. There are a few different uh, places that I go and people that I seek out and authors that I look at to try and get information and try and get some uh, inside research on this so that I can bring it to the message to the church on a weekend. And surprisingly, there was a little amount of uh, work that was done on this, material that I could find that helped reinforce my understanding of this. And so my question that I came to is that this is obviously a significant moment. This is obviously significant. But how does it affect us? What do we do with this? 2,000 years later, this moment that's obviously significant, and yet somehow there's not a ton of stuff that I was able to find this week that was written about this or spoken about this or taught about this or lectured about this. What are we to do with this? What are we supposed to make out of this? And it's helpful as we dig into that idea is to try and put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples and put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples and to observe that there is a progression in the disciples' understanding of who Jesus is. You see in Luke 5 that they left everything to follow Jesus. The disciples begin this life of following Jesus by leaving everything and completely reorientating their life to follow Jesus. They left everything to follow Jesus. It then takes a step further when Peter's famous declaration about who he believed Jesus to be. In Luke 9, then he asked them, this is Jesus asking them, but who do you say that I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. Now the Messiah was expected to be uh, the specially anointed one of God, a king who would deliver God's people and usher in the kingdom of God. And Peter understands at this moment, that's who Jesus is. So we have Peter being ready and Peter and the rest of the disciples being ready to leave everything to follow Jesus. And in part of that following Jesus, they've now got to the point, at least Peter has got to that point, with who do you say that I am? You're the Messiah. He's moved on another step. He's progressed closer to a fuller understanding of who Jesus is. And then we come on in the moment that we just read, and we see that Peter makes the assumption that Jesus is equal to Moses and Elijah. That's another step forward. You're the Messiah, and not only are you the Messiah, you're also equal with Moses and Elijah. Peter, not even know what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorial, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. These are two of the great heroes of the Old Testament. Being on level with these two was no small thing. But there's more. There's more to understand about who Jesus is, that he's even greater than these two wonderful heroes of the Old Testament. God the Father speaks, and the only other time this happens in Luke's gospel is during Jesus' baptism. And he says this in Luke 9:35. We just read it. Then a voice from the cloud said, "This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him." So clearly there's a literal listen to him. Jesus is a teacher, of course. But the whole story, this whole account of this moment on the Mount of Transfiguration, the whole story builds in a way to elevate the voice 
and consequently the person of Jesus, that his words matter above all the noise of life, that he is worthy of reorientating your whole life to follow him. As Peter understood, he truly is the Messiah, the deliverer and redeemer. But Peter's understanding of how incredible the Messiah is wasn't big enough. He's even greater than that. He is greater than the greatest figures of the Old Testament. The Father declares the splendor of the Son, that He is worth reorientating your entire life. He is worthy of unending praise. Basically, and this is the conclusion I came to this week, as the whole meaning, the whole point of this story, the reason why the gospel writers recorded this moment for you and for I 2,000 years later is that we understood something the disciples understood that day. Jesus is greater than I think He is. Jesus is greater than I think he is. No matter how great you or I may think Jesus is today, he's better than that. No matter how majestic, how wonderful, how glorious, how worthy of praise, how powerful, how authoritative he, we may think he is, he's even greater. My mind is unable to comprehend how great he is. I'm unable to appreciate the full length of his spl splendor and glory and majesty. I have no way of being able to calculate the power that Jesus has. No matter how great I may think Jesus is today, he's even better. Even better. Amen. I started my research into this and trying to look into this, and it's been a little over a week that I was digging into this to try and bring something helpful for everyone today. And my expectation was that I was going to uncover some, some deep truth, you know, some hidden treasure, you know, deep within the recesses of the Bible. I was going to uncover some nuggets of wisdom and glory. I didn't. I got something simple, something straightforward. And in its simplicity, it's life-changing, that Jesus is greater than I think he is. In the middle of the simplicity, there are some interesting and helpful things and moments in the text and I walk back through the passage with you and stop every few words or every sentence or so just to bring something that hopefully is helpful. Well, hopefully by the end of this, you'll see why I came to that conclusion, as simple as it is, that Jesus is greater than I think he is. But let's go back to Luke 9, 28. About eight days later, and this is eight days after Peter had declared that Jesus was the Messiah. And in the same conversation, Jesus went on to tell them that he was about to suffer his crucifixion. So with all that uh, to help set the stage, we then carry on. Jesus took Peter, John, and James. Now the James here uh, is the brother of John, who would later be killed for his faith. But Peter and John, along with another James, Jesus' brother, would later be the key leaders of the early church, who Paul would refer to as the pillars of the church. It's worth noting that Jesus took some of the key team to be a part of this moment. It carries on, up on a mountain to pray. The mountain... There's a significance of mountain in the Bible. If you look and you know the stories of Moses, that's where he received the Ten Commandments. It was on a mountain where Elijah called down fire from heaven. It was also on Mount Sinai where Elijah heard the Lord speak in a whisper. If something important is going to happen, it's not unusual that it would happen up on a mountain. Verse 29, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. A change in appearance and Moses had a similar experience in the book of Exodus. When Moses came down Mount Sinai, carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. Now, even though Moses had had this experience, there's a, a difference that's important to point out. And I heard this from somebody that was uh, sharing some insight on this this week, one of the few things I was able to find. 
The thing that somebody pointed out was that the light that comes from Jesus is Sola. The light that comes from Moses is Luna. Meaning, the light from Jesus is sourced from Jesus, Sola. The light from Moses is Luna, Luna as in moon, it's reflected. Moses comes down the mountain and his appearance has changed because he has had such a close, intimate, mountaintop experience with God. And he is reflecting the radiance of God. Jesus, when he radiates light, it is light that is sourced in him. Sola, not Luna. And his clothes being white, of course, it's a symbol of purity and perfection. It's easy to get clothes white now. Can you imagine back then? Verse 30, suddenly two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see. And for what it's worth, Moses and Elijah are two great names if you have two sons. Anyone that's unaware, I have two sons, and they're Moses and Elijah, and it is taken from this moment. Uh, I wanted two strong boy names. Uh, I really wanted biblical names. My first choice was John and Paul, and then Megan said, are you naming them after the biblical characters or the Beatles? (laughs) So we settled on Moses and Elijah, but there's a significance of those two biblical characters above anyone else. There's a reason why those two communicate so much, why those two were there in this moment. Moses led millions of God's people out of slavery. It was through Moses that God initiated the priestly system. It was through Moses that God built the tabernacle. And it was through Moses that he led uh, the people of Israel through the Red Sea and through the wilderness. It was Elijah who was brave enough to stand up for godliness when others wouldn't. It was Elijah that saw many, many miracles. He prayed and it stopped raining for over three years. He prayed for a boy that had died and he came back to life. He confronted the king and challenged him to turn from worshiping the pagan god Baal. He called down fire from heaven. And God used Elijah as a first in a wave of prophets that would come and declare godliness in the face of evil opposition. The rest of the Old Testament prophets would come in the wake of Elijah. Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. All the good and mighty things that God had done up until this point, and here they are talking with Jesus, acknowledging what he is going to do far supersedes anything they've ever been a part of, they've ever seen, or anything that has ever happened before. Jesus is better than the best. And I was racking my brain this week to try and think of uh, a fair comparison to bring, and there was no decent illustration that I could bring. But the whole idea of this idea of somebody being the best in their field, we trust them as an authority on being the best at something. And if that person says, no, 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 they're way better than me, we take that seriously. I mean, you could put that in the field of athletics. If there was an athlete that is recognized as being the best, and then they say, oh, no, 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 I'm not as good as that person. We take that seriously. If there's someone in the medical field saying, oh, no, no, I'm not the world's best surgeon in this field. They're better. We take that seriously. That's essentially what's happening here. You've got the best of the best saying, no, 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 this one is way better than anything we've ever been a part of. And they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which is about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah could have spoken with Jesus about any number of things, but they talked about his exodus. The translation of the Bible that you have, it may say departure. And when the Old Testament was translated from the Hebrew to Greek, the same word for departure was used as for exodus. This is definitely Luke making sure we see the connection between the exodus of the Old Testament and the cross and the resurrection. 
The exodus led by Moses meant the millions of people finding freedom from slavery. It meant God delivering them into freedom and blessing. It was parting the Red Sea and doing the impossible to see them rescued. And then the crucifixion, countless people finding freedom from the slavery of sin, being delivered into freedom and blessing. Jesus breaking the power of sin and death, rising from the grave so that we can be rescued. Both the exodus and the crucifixion and resurrection are stories of freedom, deliverance, and rescue. Verse 32, Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. They'd fallen asleep, and can you imagine waking up like this? Verse 33, as Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even know what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I love that the Bible uses the word blurted. Um, and Peter has a habit of this, of speaking before thinking, of just saying what comes to his mind by having a, a knee-jerk reaction that's way off base. And this is one of those moments. And the shelters that Peter's talking about, these were built yearly by Jewish men to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles remembers God's provision and sustenance during the wilderness. This is Peter's attempt to commemorate the moment and honor the three men by building these memorials. But he misses the point. He misses that this is not about three men all being amazing. It's about two men pointing to one man, the Son of God, saying he and he alone is worthy and awesome and far greater than we have ever experienced and ever been a part of. Peter misses the point. Now, to be fair to Peter, he did eventually get it. Later on, he would write this in his second epistle. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son, which brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. But it's key to draw that from, for today, Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah. How amazing is Jesus? Well, for the disciples, it was worth leaving everything. They got to a point where Peter, at least, was ready to say, you are the Messiah. And then he had this moment where he saw, not only are you the Messiah, not only are you worth leaving everything behind to follow, but you are better than the best. All my expectations have been completely exceeded by who you are in this moment of getting a glimpse of your splendor, a glimpse of your glory. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them, and terror gripped them as a cloud covered them. Now, a cloud is frequently used in the Old Testament. It's an imagery that's used repeatedly. It was a cloud by day that would guide the Israelites. At Mount Sinai, prior to receiving the Ten Commandments, it says this, the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. Then they will always trust you. There was a cloud that filled the temple when the temple was being opened. There was a cloud the size of a man's fist, which ended the drought in Elijah's time. Verse 35, then a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Now, if you remember from last week or if you're familiar with the account in Luke 3, this echoes very clearly what was said at Jesus' baptism. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Listen to him. 
Listen to him. This is the fulfillment of a promise given to Moses, a promise of a Messiah. From the book of Deuteronomy, Moses continued, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And it's on the Mount of Transfiguration that God declares of Jesus, you must listen to him. The prophet you've been waiting for to rise up is here. And he is far better than you've ever anticipated. When the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. They didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. So the mountaintop experience didn't last forever. For Moses, he had a mountaintop experience and he came down with the Ten Commandments. He comes down and finds out that the people have pressured Aaron into making a golden calf to worship. Moses had just gotten the Ten Commandments, comes down the mountain only to find that God's chosen people have broken about half of them. Elijah comes down the mountain and shortly afterwards he's running for his life as King Ahab and Jezebel look to kill him. Jesus comes down the mountain after this experience and a man whose son's being terrorized by an evil spirit and the disciples are trying but unable to help and Jesus has to step in and set the boy free. And what's the common theme? Go up the mountain, have a mountaintop experience, then it's back to the mission. For Moses, it's go up the mountain, have a mountaintop experience, and then continue establishing the law. For Elijah, it's go up the mountain, have a mountaintop experience, see the fire of heaven fall, then keep standing up for godliness. For Jesus, it's go up the mountain, have a mountaintop experience, and then keep bringing about the kingdom of God. The mountaintop experience is just a glimpse of eternity and a glimpse of glory. The best way I could think to demonstrate this or illustrate this is um, she's going to kill me for saying this, but Megan is a fantastic singer. She really is. She's tremendous. Um, you know, all through school, she was classically trained um, and, you know, competed and won awards and all kinds of stuff. She's awesome. Um, if you hear Megan sing the national anthem, it will bring you to tears. It's unbelievable. One of my favorite things is when she's singing songs from Les Mis around the house. Uh, she really is a tremendous, tremendous singer. Now, I've told you that And if you became aware that you could get tickets to go and see Megan perform somewhere, knowing that she's a great singer, hopefully be tempted to get yourself a ticket and go to the show. So now, here you are, you're going to see Megan perform, you know she's an awesome singer, you've got your ticket, and you're hanging around here at the church one week, and you walk past her office, and you hear singing from her office. It's not the performance, but you hear singing, you know that the singing is going to be good. You get to hear a bit of it yourself, but it's not the full performance. That's the Mount of Transfiguration. You believe Jesus is awesome. You believe he's majestic. You believe he's glorious. You believe he's the King of Kings. Then you have a mountaintop experience with him like this, and you get to see a glimpse, a tiny peek through the keyhole of how incredible Jesus is. But even that, This moment for the disciples was absolutely life-changing. Even that is a speck compared to the majesty that we will experience of Jesus in eternity. It is a fraction. Jesus is greater than I think he is. He's more powerful, more worthy of respect and honor, more glorious No matter how much we appreciate Jesus or love Jesus, there's more to love and more to appreciate. But sadly, somehow, we can attend church long enough 
We can be a part of worship services like this. We can get in a group. We can join a team. And then at some point, the message of Jesus can just somehow become white noise. And as illogical as that sounds, it happens all the time. That the greatest news that has ever been, the greatest message the world will ever know, can just become another thing on our to-do list. It, it's unbelievably common. The people who will say and they'll profess themselves that, yeah, they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That he came to establish a new kingdom. That he died a death on the cross. And that three days later, he rose again. That he is the eternal King of kings and the eternal Lord of lords. And yet somehow, faith just becomes another thing. Is minimized. Is shrunk. Is just another thing on the calendar. Somehow, and it happens unbelievably common. It's unbelievably common how much this happens. My friends, this is why we need to have and we need to actively pursue mountaintop experiences. Because life has a way of course correcting. So we need to fight the course correction and go the way that God is taking us. My friends, I believe that this is the value of having mountaintop experiences. That's why at this church we have such a high value on times of worship. That's why we, we deeply encourage everyone to be here and get here and be a part of worship so that we can come together. And I hope and I pray we have mountaintop experiences together. As we experience the goodness of God, we get that glimpse of the glory of who Jesus is. And then that glimpse propels us in our life of faith. I've got a couple of questions for you. I'm going to have a few minutes and then we're going to get back into worship. But a couple of questions I want to put to you. Has the message of Jesus become white noise to you? Have you lost the wonder, the awe, the appreciation? If so, maybe a simple prayer of, Lord, bless me with a mountaintop experience is what you need right now. But has the message of Jesus become white noise to you? And the second one is, how can you grow in your appreciation for Jesus? And there might be any number of responses to this. But how can you grow in your appreciation for Jesus? It was a number of years ago now, I read an article. And in this article, the journalist was interviewing a pastor. And they said to the pastor, you know, what does Jesus mean to you? And the journalist writes that as he put the question to the pastor, the pastor just broke, just started crying, just had a complete emotional, overwhelmed moment. And through broke, you know, you know how it is when you're crying and you try to talk, you know, like your voice is all broken and croaky and he just kind of forced out, he's everything. I read that story years ago and it stuck with me and I think the reason it stuck with me is I want to get to that place where if someone were to catch me off guard and I wasn't expecting the question and someone just puts to me, Tom, who's Jesus to you? For me to just not be able to contain my emotion, for me to just be so consumed with who Jesus is and how incredible he is and how majestic he is and powerful he is and splendid and glorious he is, that the question just, he's everything. I want to get there. And I read this from the book of Colossians. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Colossians 1.15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. 
such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. I love this passage. We can clap. If we're going to clap, let's do it. I love this passage. I don't know if there's a single place else in the New Testament that so clearly and so beautifully and so poetically just puts on full display, this is the majesty of Jesus. It's an incredible passage. As it explains that Jesus is supreme over all, he is first in everything. There is none like Jesus. The fullness of God is in him. And it goes on in verse 21, this includes you. This includes you. Jesus, in all his goodness, all his glory, all his majesty, he includes you. Colossians 1, 21. This includes you who were once far from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That's some good news. You've heard me say many times, and there's a 100% chance you're going to hear me say it again. Something, a, a thought, a phraseology that drives my life, my attitude towards ministry, is simply that if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the only logical response is to follow him with everything. I wholeheartedly believe that if somebody believes that Jesus is who he says he is, if you believe passages like the one we just read from Colossians, if you believe the account that happened on the Mount of Transfiguration, you believe that Jesus demonstrated a glimpse of his glory and his power and his goodness and his love and his majesty, then the only logical response is to follow him with everything. To believe this and follow Jesus half-heartedly. To believe this and be casual about faith. I propose to you, makes no logical sense at all. If this is true, it's worth reorientating your entire life, rethinking every single priority you have, reevaluating every value you hold dear, rethinking, relearning everything about the world. If you believe this message of Jesus, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the only logical response is to follow him with absolutely everything. As we get ready to go back into... If one person claps, we all have to. We're going to go back into a time of worship in just a moment. And as we worship, it's helpful to remember that the word worship, it's an old word and it's rooted in an English word that was used as worthy ship. And then over time, it's been squished together to become worship, but it started as worthy ship. 
And the idea and the heart behind worship was that you were applying worth to something. You were applying significance to something. You were giving something the due respect and the due, uh, you know, the due appreciation. You were putting someone in the role that they should be. That is what worship is, is ascribing worth where it should be placed. And when we worship, we're simply saying, Jesus, you deserve this and infinitely more. You deserve to be held and declared higher above everything and anything else. 2 Corinthians 3.16. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us have had that veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And the song that we sung earlier, and we're going to sing again in just a moment. One of the lyrics in there is this, Now I know, I have seen your glory that cannot be unseen. I am changed and changing still as I look upon you, Lord, and believe. You just want to go ahead and stand as we get ready to worship. We're going to pray in just a moment. I encourage you to pray right now and believe that you're going to have a mountaintop experience. Moses had mountaintop experiences. Elijah had mountaintop experiences. And so did the disciples. So let's pray and believe that a mountaintop experience is what you're going to have right now. Come on, everybody, let's pray together. Lord, we're here, ready to ascribe the worth that you and you alone have to you. And believe, Lord, that you are alone and you are worthy and glorious far beyond what our minds can comprehend, far beyond what we can calculate, imagine, or whatever we could put together. Lord, you are above it all. You alone are glorious and wonderful. Lord, it is with all this in our minds and all this in our hearts that we come together in a time of worship right now. In Jesus' incredible name, amen. Come on, everybody, let's worship. Hey, one of the biggest things that I took away from that message was it was the simple phrase that Pastor Tom said. It was, Jesus is greater than I think he is. Let's pray together. Lord, I just pray for this upcoming week for everybody that can hear the sound of my voice right now. I just pray that we would remember those words. Those words would resonate um, throughout our week. We would we would live out the fact that Jesus is greater than we think he is. He's greater than any box that we could put him in. And I just pray for your blessing over this week and that, yeah, these words would make an impact on our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, one last shameless plug before you go. We want to invite you to be a part of the reading plan. It's really awesome, and here's how to sign up for it. You can go to our website, that's wordoflifeag.org, and tap right on the black bar at the top of the page. That'll get you signed up. Have a great rest of your week.